Michigan State student journalist Wally Kahn shared some of his own observations about covering the February 13th tragedy that took place at MSU. I mean, I was uh, at the Capitol and talking to some students who were, you know, uh, student activists like Asia Denny. Uh, you know, everybody was just like testing microphones and you know getting ready for the sit-in protest. But, um, you know, having to reconstruct the four hours um, of terror at MSU, I think a couple of days after um, it had happened, that was when it was published. But that was kind of like the overarching um nature of the work i think you know fresh off of like even being um on campus and reporting on it as it happened but you know circling back to um how it was covered i think um in i think over the summer i had reported on um a student who was building his own gun in the dorms um on the lansing city pulse and i remember um, a lot of the students who I've talked to were kind of, in a sense, diagnosing this kid. Um, and I, I was really afraid of that happening this time. I mean, we've seen it with, um, like, Nicholas Cruz, like one of the shooters, um, you know, and uh, a bunch of shooters where they, and there was a lot of misinformation. So I ended up actually talking to a uh a doctor at Eastern Michigan University, Dr. Sally Burton Hoyle. And I think, you know, I was really afraid of, you know, there being misinformation because at the end of the day, when, when we, we think of misinformation, uh, we only think about its immediate effect. Um, I, I was also really afraid of like when uh, we were trying to figure out the, like the motive that, you know, it would, it would become a, one of those things where, you know, extremists would post about it online. Um, you know, and a lot of this, uh, a lot of this reporting scared me because, um, outside of this news ecosystem, if you were to look at what was going on on 4chan the night of the shooting, uh, there was a lot of racialized hatred. There was a lot of, uh, misinformation that maybe had originated from that site. So, you know, I think, um, sensationalism aside there was also that aspect of worry where people were going to um diagnose someone with uh you know this mental health issue or whatever and it take away from the conversation that needs to be had uh which would be you know focusing on the survivors and the victims and the deceased and and i think there was also that aspect of police scanners being rife with misinformation and i think you know that's something you see in a lot of police departments um, but also there are different ways police scanners operate in different police departments like if you're some police departments don't say much over the police scanner so you know i, I was also very wary of live tweeting what was going on unless it was confirmed um but there would also be people online um basically streamers who would be like looking at the police scanners and you know they would say stuff like okay this is not confirmed but um it says that there may be more than one shooter and i think it's just kind of like a travesty in like media literacy but when when we were in on campus and during the the duration of the shooting you know we had every reason to believe that it was more than one person 
But you know what? And and I'm I'm only just touching on what was happening during the incident. I, I haven't even got into the point part of like after the fact. Um, would be, you know, there there was this vicious cycle. I remember Jillian telling me that there were people, you know, really freaked out by the police scanner. They would see uh, police, you know, outside their window, but you know it's dark, and some of them are in plain clothes, and you'd be like, oh my god that is that those are multiple shooters and and then they'd call it in and then it'd appear on the police scanner and there'd be more cops and you know it was just really vicious cycle and um so you know i think that was a little bit botched when it came to like some people tweeting it out so i remember there were i I, even i had a tweet out that you know there there might be more than one shooter but and then the next the very next tweet tweet like seconds later was you know, it's important to note that police scanners are rife with misinformation. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt. You know, and, and you know, after the fact, um, there was, I remember attending a vigil where there were friends of the deceased. And I, I remember there were a TV crew that were pointing cameras at like crying children's faces. And it's like, you know, a lot of, a lot of reporters, you know, they're, it's been a while since they've been to college. And, um, you know, some people have to like fly in to report on this. Some people have to drive in from Detroit or wherever, but a lot of them aren't, they have some sort of like cognitive distance from the incident, you know, for better or worse. Um, but I think, you know, a lot of them seemed pretty insensitive when it came to asking some questions. I, I think a lot of reporters did a great job. You know, a lot of a lot of reporters, I think most reporters are pretty sensitive, but it's like, you know, at a, at a certain point, you know, it, it felt sometimes like a game to some of these adult reporters, because I remember sitting at a press conference at like 1.30 a.m. Uh, just waiting. I remember Whitmer had come out. I remember Woodruff had come out. And it was so tiring. You know, I had been up. My girlfriend had been up. We were driving all over town now there was a press conference you know in the middle of the night and I remember sitting there and the mood in the room it was definitely you know a little somber but like there were like moments of laughter and it was just I remember my hands didn't stop shaking till the next day even you know going to the shooter's house and taking a video of it and um, I remember the video was like shaky because my hands were just trembling. Yeah, I think a lot of a lot of reporters, because they had that cognitive distance, it was like yes, they were they knew they were covering a tragedy, but they weren't they weren't exactly covering it like tragedy, if that makes sense. Khan shared his thoughts on reports that journalists had been aggressive with students when covering the tragedy. I think it was. I'm in the position where. Because, you know, I haven't witnessed where, you know, a, a reporter had to like shout. I think what I encountered was much more perhaps well-intentioned, but fumbled and botched. And I remember at The Rock, there was, I'm not going to say who, but it was, there was a family member, I believe, of one of the victims. And she was sitting by the lake. And I remember, and this was right next to The Rock. And there were reporters like approaching her, and I remember she had gone to the 
you know, by the side of the lake and was staring off. And I think she was, you know, distraught. And, and there were, you know, other reporters who were trying to rep uh, approach her while she was mourning and grieving at the rock. So I think that's why she had moved to like to the side and she sat down on that somewhat damp soil. And I remember just walking to her and asking her if it was okay to sit next to her and that I was a reporter, but I didn't expect her to talk to me at all. I just sat with her for a few minutes and stared off because like, you know, I, you know, if there was just five minutes of nobody approaching just because they thought I was, you know, talking to a source, that's something that just, that's just some quiet that I think she should have been afforded. Yeah, because I mean, right after I left, uh, there were two reporters that approached her and I mean, she sent them along her, their way, but I think she was pretty clear that she didn't want to talk. I think, uh, yeah, I left my contact information. I think a lot of this is like, you know, for the, for the piece, uh, for the post that I wrote that, um, one of them was that reconstructing those four hours was that we talked in total to 40 students, but I, I interviewed, I might've interviewed probably 20 in total. And I think the way a lot of report, I think reporters don't understand that, you know, the way to deal with this is, you know, you, you have to, you have to do it on a source's terms when it comes to something like this. I think, you know, I, for me, I left my con, I would ha I don't even have a business card or a name card. I would write it down on a post-it note, my email and my number, my personal like number and my name. And I say, you know, here's my contact info, you know, uh, you can either get rid of it or you can hold on to it. But, you know, you, you have to give, you know, for, for somebody's autonomy to be ripped away by gun violence, the last thing you want to do is take more of it away. So, you know, it's always like a good idea to like, you know, let them contact you, but you have no way of contacting them. And then, and that takes trust because obviously you know like yeah this is a source but you know that's they're a person first and a source second so i think you know giving them that option that choice is really important and i think a lot of reporters didn't do that a lot of reporters wouldn't say wouldn't ask if someone were okay before opening up their notebook and taking down their trauma khan also commented on the controversial reporting by the new york times so you know, I I've seen the email that Jillian has sent, and I and I and I know that a lot of people reached out on Snapchat and and said, "Hey, yeah, no, I sent an email too." I I read the live, uh, I, I did I did live reporting for Washington Post when when this was going on as well, and that didn't even cross my mind. Um, I think what was really interesting about that is that the the question. I think it was how it was framed and the intention behind uh, that piece. So um, I'm not one to play devil's advocate for the biggest newspaper in the world. I mean, one of the new biggest newspapers in the world at all. Uh, I read that. I mean, it was definitely inappropriate and tone deaf um, for me as a student because, you know, I, I am not from around here. I moved here a year and a half ago. And... Um, you know, I had written for Vice about how schools handle sexual assault. And it's like, that was the reason I actually chose MSU. It was to 
look into how policies translate into sexual violence and the like you know this horrible cycle of it and i think um when when we when we look at the administration we see even from before this uh, incident there was pretty low morale i mean in terms of how the administration was was handling the uh, Title IX certification controversy, and there was, you ask any student right now, and nobody's going to be able to tell you what happened and why why our you know President Stanley was ousted. Sure, I, I'm a reporter, and there are other reporters that I know who know more than the average student, but I think the intention behind that New York Times live tweet was basically. Are we going to expect any accountability from this administration? But I think at the moment, like at the moment when during that, when it should not have been a live tweet, uh, not a live tweet, but a live post where in the midst of this happening, you know, I, I think one thing to note is like, you know, Larry Nasser, in one sense has been handled in the sense that he's in jail. He can no longer harm anybody. But the specter of sexual violence on campus ha- looms large in terms of how the administration has, uh, you know, handled our student concerns, but, but at uh, you know during when that was published, it was you know feelings are incredibly raw. I think there was definitely a way to get accountability from this school, and they're not even knowing what what to get accountability for just yet, because you know there's still so much we don't know about this incident that happened last Monday. Uh, I mean, it was definitely tone deaf, and it was it wasn't an it was just it wasn't appropriate. Um, but could I see would I would I make mistake uh, a mistake like that as a reporter? Probably not. But I'm sure to some measure that the author of that uh, report probably has you know absorbed that criticism and is more aware of it. And I think you know this insensitivity. Um, I remember on the Vanderbilt uh, Van- in Vanderbilt University there was. The DEI, I think it was a DEI department. They, I think they're all now on leave because they used Chat GPT to uh, author like a condolence letter or something about the MSU shooting. You know, I think there's this sort of tragedy brings out like the best and worst of people. Khan shared some final thoughts on the nature of trauma reporting. I think um, when it comes to tragedies like this and you know there is well not even i think mass shootings are such like a uniquely like a unique tragedy where um you have so many conversations you have so many conversations with people who think it's about mental health and then there are people who think about it's about guns it's about and then there is also that entire argument that both you know that, that the left and right believe that whenever something like this happens, there's a lot of police presence and they can't keep us safe and therefore gun ownership goes up. I think there's also that aspect of, you know, threading the line between fear mongering and pushing for, even as a reporter and pushing for people to be, uh, to have a voice in the activism space. I think when it comes to trauma reporting, it's always, you know, harm reduction and minimizing harm. And we've heard that a lot, but again, I, that that's kind of why earlier on I was talking about well-intentioned but botched. I think when it came to this situation, a lot of reporters were well-intentioned, but when it came to, but as like a larger whole about trauma reporting, it's like 
maybe, maybe I think it's like better to like kind of take a step back and see like okay what are what what are the problems plaguing campus in the first place because I remember uh, reporting on that kid over the summer and who had built a gun in his dorm and there were you know there were just so many things that were wrong in that in that situation where nobody like you know the police weren't taking the uh concerns of the um the residents seriously and you know the police had actually visited and searched the uh, the kids room once before but i think you know it's trauma reporting i would say it's more like before something like this happens we have to be really critical of how this university detects or monitors student behavior because I think a lot of people fall into this belief where, okay, we need more police presence on campus. We need to arm ourselves, you know, stuff like that. I mean, remember, I, I even remember seeing on um, the Michigan State University Snapchat that people were trying to find loopholes into like bringing their concealed carry on a campus. And I was, I remember my hands, this was the two days after the shooting. And I remember just, just sitting there and just being really frustrated because there were just so many people responding to even my own articles and saying, oh yeah, this is why we need to arm our students and and stuff like that. I think, you know, a lot of this trauma reporting, um, it took a toll on me. Um, So I would say like, as like a whole, like taking care of yourself is really important, but you know, in situations like this, like how how do you take care of yourself if you're at the forefront of all of it? But I think being empathetic comes kind of like there isn't a one size fits all solution. It's kind of like everything you do. I'll give you an example. When when I told when I was interviewing Jillian multiple times, what I would do is you know, I wouldn't even be on the phone or in the room. What I would do is, okay, Jillian, you are you are coming back from Metro Detroit and you're driving back to MSU. And this is like the first time you're coming back to campus. So as you're packing up and as you're driving back, I want you to turn on, if you're comfortable, if you want to turn on your voice memos and just think out loud what you see, what you feel. And I think, you know, that less invasive and less exploitative approach you're going to get so much more out of a source, so much more out of a a person if you're not even there. I think it's important to be, um, and I hate to say this, you know, but it's it, it's important to be sort of invisible when you're writing this and when you're creating media about this because um, I was very aware of the kind of access that I had as a student and I was very aware that, you know, it's different from an adult reporter approaching a student and saying, hey, tell me your story. So, you know, being aware of that sort of almost power to platform someone on a national level is is really important, too, because people are trusting us with their stories for the entire nation to read. And, you know, there's also that aspect of, you know, people are aware that whatever they say will be part of that historical record and uh, used to push for policies that that would be enacted in Washington, et cetera, or even on the state level. Yeah, um, I think 
I think moving forward, you know, a lot of students say that they want stories about, you know, healing and getting better. But I also think that it's important to start really looking at our law enforcement and start looking at our at our university with a critical eye. And, you know, a lot of people and, you know, I have been I have faced harassment just reporting on this. There were people making awful, awful comments, uh, even my DMs. And, you know, that comes hand in hand with this sort of reporting, um, unfortunately. But, you know, there are a lot of people who are going to tell us, who are going to tell fellow reporters and students that it's too soon to talk about policy change. It's too soon to talk about government action. It's too soon to... Stories take time to develop. So I think it's important for us to start looking at our institutions more critically, especially large institutions like these where, you know, how they're judged is uh, how they treat their most vulnerable. And I think now more than ever, that's how we need to look at it.